This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. Join us at the Leaders Conference, hosted by MGMA, powered by you, where top minds gather to accelerate the success of ambulatory care and medical practices. Join us in Nashville, October 22nd through the 25th. Register today at mgma.com slash leaders. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor of MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Today, we welcome Katie Wallace to the show. Katie is Assistant Director of Clinical Operations at UT Southwestern Medical Center. Katie, welcome. Hi, how are you? Very good. So glad to have you on here. Now, you are part of... uh, couple of different programs. We've been reaching out to MGMA members to have them on as guests, and we're excited to have you here with us today. So we want to get to know a little bit more about you. Um, just kind of tell us a little bit about that origin story of yours. What got you interested in healthcare in the first place? Oh, thank you um, for having me first, and uh, I'm happy to be a part of this. And what got me into healthcare? Um, well, I guess fortunately, or maybe a little bit unfortunately, um, I was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 17. Wow. And as I um, went through that journey, um, I kind of realized once I got into college that, you know, I, I was able to win that battle and I had some really great um, therapists and nurses and other staff that supported my myself and my family through that journey that I wanted to find a way to kind of pay it forward or pay it back, whichever mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the treatments that I had to have was radiation therapy, which is the department I work in now, radiation oncology. And so I learned very quickly that the training program for the staff that did the treatments called radiation therapist was very close to my hometown of Oklahoma. So I quickly applied to the program and was able to to get into that and really found a calling for what I was doing and have been very blessed um, throughout the last you know 22 years of being in healthcare and just have been able to use that experience um, to really help bolster my career and um, it's really been a really wonderful journey additionally my mom is a nurse and so I kind of always knew I kind of wanted to go in healthcare. I tried to um, talk myself out of it in high school but uh, then after all of that happened I was like no I, I think I should use this experience to um, 
help others in a way. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for sharing that that powerful story, and and glad uh, you have won that battle. So, thank you so much <laughs> for that. <laughs> um, yeah. You said your mom's a nurse. Did you ever? entertain the idea of working on the clinical side or where, where did you make that decision? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, initially when I, I thought about after the cancer battle, I initially also thought about being a physician as opposed to a radiation therapist. And so, but at that point I was like, I don't really want to go to school for another 16 years. Um, looking back on it, I wish I had done it. But um, <laughs> so I, you know, chose to go another route. But the reason I didn't choose to go to nursing school um, is kind of silly. But I love, absolutely love nurses. And but I kind of didn't want to do some of the nitty gritty details that they were having to deal with um, in their school. And my mom would tell me about stories and some were very funny and some were very sad and mm-hmm. some were happy, but it just, it wasn't really where I wanted to go. And so when I became a radiation therapist, which is a lot like an x-ray tech. So they're the staff that is actually administering the treatment. So it's, it's, very clinical. It's, you know, patient facing direct patient care, but it's a lot more technical. There's a lot of physics and things involved. And so it kind of um, really appealed to that side of me, which was still having direct patient care and still helping patients, but then at the same time was um, challenging in that kind of physics um, sense of the way. So so that's where I started and then was able to use that experience and um, in my career and um, have basically moved up about five rungs on the ladder in my current department. I've worked there for this is the 21st year. So, wow, that is that's that's a great story. Um we love hearing those stories and being able to share those with the other MGMA members. Uh getting to know each other in that regard. So let's talk about what's going on right now with you. So you are, as I mentioned earlier, Assistant Director of Clinical Operations. Now, this is at UT Southwestern Medical Center. Tell us about uh, that practice, if you have any data or information on that, the size and scope of the practice, and, and what your role is there. Yeah, absolutely. So UT Southwestern is the academic medical center in Dallas, Texas. So they provide physician training um, and various other programs of learning, as well as a full complement of two hospitals, um, collaboration with Parkland, which is the county hospital of Dallas County, and with Children's Medical Center of Dallas. And so within UT Southwestern, it houses all sorts of disciplines from internal medicine or family practice all the way up into specialties in cardiology and oncology and really anything the full gamut that you could think of for medical care and there's about 21,000 employees at UT Southwestern wow and so it's a it's quite a big operation i I tried to look up some information just about the medical school itself. And I was like, wow, like it reminded me the scope of 
what was happening here in Dallas. And they have, it's just a really extraordinary place to work. It's, it's amazing to see a facility that can focus so much on patient care, but at the same time, the well-being of their employees. And, and so from a North Texas perspective, just Texas is so large, um, it really is the premier medical center. And so we do um, see patients and are able to care for patients that come from the entire state of Texas, but also surrounding states to come to UT Southwestern to receive their care. And radiation oncology is the specialty that I oversee. And it is quite a large practice. There's over 500 employees alone just in the Department of Radiation Oncology. Um, we have a full education department for a residency program, as well as a molecular radiation biology program, which is doing really advanced research in, in cancer treatment. And so, as well as the clinical side, the patient care as well. And my role is clinical operations assistant director. And so I oversee the staff um, in various roles, but the staff is really providing direct patient care and in some instances, indirect care. So that would be the front registration desk, our scheduling staff that support the physicians, the nurses, the patients, and just day-to-day -day scheduling. Uh, the nurses, we have both registered nurses and LVNs or LPNs in some states in our practice as well as medical office assistants. Uh, we have support staff, social workers, dietitians, and then additionally, our radiation therapists that treat the patients. And then we have some staff that do the planning of the treatment called dosimetrist. And so overall, I have about 220 employees on my team, uh, the various supervisors and managers really kind of running the crux of the, the patient care side. So that's kind of day-to-day wow. in the, or the team in a nutshell. <laughs> I'm getting an indication of what some of the challenges could be, but uh, just for the sake <laughs> of it, I don't want to read into anything. It just seems like a very vast and complex organization. So give us uh, listeners here an idea of one of the, some of the challenges you're seeing there and, and how you're dealing with them. Yeah, that's, I thought a lot about this question as I, you know, I assumed this is something we were going to discuss. And then mm -hmm. it's also something that I know is a challenge for many healthcare facilities across the country. So some of the bigger challenges for the university itself is just access. And so um, since UT Southwestern is so large, there are some um, specialties that are quite large on the scale of physicians that practice there. And then some are that are a little bit smaller um, because of specialties. And so there can be more challenging situations for patients to get an appointment and to get in to see those providers. And additionally with access, it's just the resources, you know, in the area, Dallas, Fort Worth Metroplex is, is pretty large by mileage and um, so it can be challenging for patients to find ways to make it across the Metroplex just to get um, to our institution. So those are certainly kind of the two biggest challenges and, okay. and challenges that our department has really taken on to try to ensure that if a patient is diagnosed with cancer, 
were able to get them in to see a physician within same day or within up to five days. And so that way, the fear and the anxiety is hopefully lessened so that we can get them in. Um, employing social workers and um, other support staff in our department, we really do work with the community to find ways to uh, help and support patients in, in getting there. But then additionally, there's the staff. And as we all know, with all the challenges that the U.S. economy is facing, the staff have those same challenges, driving to work or working from home and having those resources there or the the cost of living or money or salary and all of those things that impact us as humans in the world and humans in the United States. And um, so those are probably the biggest challenges, especially on the clinical side that we face is really having that access um, to patients, whether it's getting them an appointment or getting their questions answered um, or equally making sure they have the resources to care for themselves during their journey. And then making sure the staff has the support they need to enjoy their job as much as possible day to day. Yeah. Well, shifting gears a little bit, um, you had talked uh, earlier through a survey. We had put that out to MGMA members wanting to get to know some of the members better uh, for people who might um, appear as guests on the podcast. And one of the things you talked about was you've used your experiences as a cancer survivor and also your experiences uh, working as a healthcare leader to uh, work with and, and mentor other, uh, you know, healthcare employees. I want you to talk about that, about how you've built those relationships, have your role as a mentor. Anything else like that that you might want to share with us? Yeah, when I um, first got into leadership, with, which was in about 2010, and it was just really kind of a frontline supervisor role, I went into that thinking that my role and what I was really called to do was to help support patients. And this is one of this is one of the hardest things I ever have to say, but I started to realize as I grew in leadership that my role as a leader was to provide an environment where the staff felt satisfied, compelled to come to work, and valued. And if I could do that, then they would be able to provide that patient care that is above average and above the mark that patients would, you know, want to come and receive. And so as I started to realize that, and as I grew in my education, I realized that if I was going to succeed in healthcare, where staff is compelled to have emotions and take care of other people, I had to employ the same tactics for them. And so being a mentor, I have started to kind of guide other leaders in my department, um, other uh, institutions that I kind of help support, and and show that by using your emotions and getting to know people on an emotional level and finding that connection and showing people that they're valued as an 
a person and not just an employee or employee ID, I have been more successful in gaining the trust and the confidence to lead and get the buy-in of staff to kind of follow the guidelines or expectations that I set into place. And, and I'm not doing it from a malicious place or anything, but I've mm. realized that if I can really get down to the core of that person, know their name, know their faith and understand where they belong, then I am more apt to get people to want to speak to me about challenges that they're facing so that we can work to correct them. Or when we need to have quality improvement projects or other things along that nature in that process realm, I can get people to want to help and want to make that change. And I think that's really been where I have found the most happiness even for me is really providing the tools, the resources, the the support and guidance for people to be able to enjoy their work as much as I enjoy mine. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's been really neat to talk to others about because I've also started to learn from others, even if I was the mentor, you know, tactics or things that they use that are not just around metrics or volumes or things like that, which those things matter, that data matters so that you can continue to build your practice. But to retain those quality employees, um, I really realized that emotions are almost as equally as important, but also sometimes, you know, you can't really collect data on it. Mm -hmm. And so it does take the effort and the time to really learn to value your employees as people as well. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. So I have another question for you, and this is uh, yeah. about your relationship with MGMA. Tell us about that. How did that relationship begin? And maybe share a, a highlight or two about that relationship and, and what you've gotten out of it. Yeah, that is such a great question. And um, I, I have to remember sometimes you know, how that started. And although it doesn't seem like very long ago, it was getting a little bit farther than I <laughs> want to um, accept. <laughs> yeah. so, so in 2014, um, okay. we had a, a fairly new um, administrator come to the University of uh, Texas Southwestern Medical Center um, and really in an ambulatory administrative leadership. So this was the leader that was really kind of overseeing the operations of all the kind of the clinical side versus the hospital side of UT Southwestern. And his name was Randy Jones. And he was a fellow with the MGMA mm -hmm. and really loved the organization. So prior to him, I had heard hardly anything about it. And so he, in a meeting for clinical managers, told us that he was able to get the university support in starting cohorts of training to take the MGMA certifications. And of course, I love learning and I was fairly new in leadership. And so I was, I immediately volunteered um, and happened to be the youngest in the cohort. Um, but so what he did was get a group of about 15 of us together, um, and help us, um, purchase, 
um, NGA materials for training for the certification. And we basically did a weekly class over one subject at a time. Mm. And we broke up into small groups. So every group had one of the primary topics of the certification. And so what we would do was give presentation on the bits and pieces from that to the other groups to really kind of create this collaborative learning. And then additionally, because he was also an MGA, MGMA test proctor for the um, essay part of mm -hmm. the certification, he would give us um, example kinds of questions and then have us write essays and, and help grade them. And although I was also learning MGMA things, I was learning just so much in general about the business side of healthcare, but I was making relationships with other leaders um, and hearing from them and being able to learn from their experiences as well. And so after about three months or so of, of this training, um, we took the test and I'm pretty sure everybody that took it passed. And so I, I really can imagine people doing this on their own and learning so that they could take the certification, but having that kind of classroom experience almost was just invaluable. And so after that, of course, I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I passed this test. <laughs> and um, in the first couple of years, um, I, I kind of didn't pick into MGMA as much as I probably could have. But in about um, 2016, 2017, I was really kind of started getting like, wait a second, there's conferences and meetings and um, CEU things and, you know, just other things that you can learn. And I really realized I spent a lot of time in my uh, specialty conferences for radiation oncology, but I started to realize I need to start picking the brains of people in other specialties or other lines of service or other facilities because the message is still the same, even if their um, their patient demographics are different or their volumes of patients are different. They're still really kind of the same messages and the same core competencies. And so over the last five years, I've really used a lot of the resources, a lot of the magazine articles and learning PowerPoints or um, different, you know, meetings that they show and at some point I will get to a conference, but every time I want to go, then, then COVID happens or something right. and, and I can't go, but, um, but certainly the resources and what MGMA has, has provided as well as data, I get out like a, almost a daily text of different statistics that they're collecting from people that are part of MGMA. So it's really neat to kind of see what others are facing as well. So it kind of lets me know, like, I'm not alone in the big sea of healthcare leadership. So <laughs> yeah. that's, it's, it's really, it's, it's really been uh, an amazing group. And I've really enjoyed just learning more what's out there. Almost every time I get on the website, I'm like, Oh, wow, I didn't know this was here. <laughs> 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 well, that's wonderful. Well, Katie, it has been great getting to meet you today and hear your healthcare journey. We want to have more MGA member, MGMA members just like yourself to hop on the show with us and, and kind of take us down not only memory lane, but also what's happening right now in their world. So thank you for sharing all this with us. 
Absolutely. It was really fun to do this and I really appreciated it because it really made me stop and reflect on some of the the successes and the challenges that I faced and, you know, just give me a good reminder of why I started down this journey anyway. That's great. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Member Spotlight Podcast. Uh, as I was just mentioning, please let us know if you would like to be uh, a guest on this podcast. We'd love to have you. Uh, for this episode, thanks again to Katie Wallace. She's Assistant Director of Clinical Operations at UT Southwestern Medical Center. And thanks to all of you for being an MGMA podcast listener. Thanks so much. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com analytics today.